What's God's imagination like? What about his sense of humor? Does he have a music preference? I mean, does your idea of God allow that type of question to exist? You know, what if Jesus wasn't here to answer all the questions, but to stir up more? And what about worship? What are we really doing there? Those questions and more on today's episode of the Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader podcast. Anybody says the Matrix stole all the best parts of their story from the Bible. Maybe someday on another podcast, I'll be able to unpack that for you. It'll be a podcast that pretty much me and no one else listens to, but that's enough. And in one giant nerd session, I'll break down how that's actually true. But for now, I'm just going to mention one, one way that they do it. And that's the, the red pill, blue pill. If you haven't seen it, what? <sighs> but I guess... You know, basically a guy shows up and says, these two pills, one leaves you with the life that you have, and the other one kind of opens you up to a to a one I want to show you, which sounds really like drug related, but it's not. You know, and, and what's interesting is Jesus shows up in the lives of his disciples and basically on planet earth for all of us and confirms what their soul already knows. And maybe they've never been able, never been able to see it or touch it or experience it or articulate it. But it's the reality that there's more going on in life than meets the eye. Jesus basically ushers this truth into their lives. You know, Jesus is like the sky cracking and reality shattering for all of us. He's the announcement of the supernatural. He's the voice of the cosmos. You know, and and here's what's crazy. Thousands of years later, here we are talking about him, following him, worshiping. I mean, just think about that. We're over 2,000 years removed from an event where the creator of the universe lived and died and rose again here on earth in a place that you and I, at least we can eventually, can hop on a plane and go visit Israel. I've been there. It's awesome. But that's mind-blowing. I mean, Jesus comes. He basically comes and goes, hey, listen, there's more to life. Red Bill Red pill, blue pill. And it's basically an invitation to see the world through the eyes of the maker. It's amazing. And yet somehow over time, I let my worship become so pedestrian, so prosaic. You know, it's like so dull. Like the worst is when like my worship and everything about my relationship with God makes total sense. And it's civil. When really it can't be. No way. I like... Worship is not one of those things to me in my life that I think should ever be like figured out or comfortable. It wouldn't have been comfortable on the front lines in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you've read Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader, we open up the book with that story. And there's no way it was comfortable for them. And I don't want it to be comfortable for me. And I don't necessarily want it to be comfortable for you. You know, I want God, not necessarily comfort from worship, although is the word does say that in his presence is, is fullness of joy, and I take great comfort in that. But that's not the goal necessarily. 
You know, I think two of the best looks at this in scripture, there's many, but I think two are really special. And that's in Revelation chapter one and Isaiah chapter six. I want to read uh, these two because, you know, I want you to hear John, the pastor, speak in Revelation one as he sees the creator. Okay, listen, Revelation one, verse 16 through 18. Verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. This is John talking. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Okay, verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. That makes more sense, right? Like, boom, John sees the maker. And what's his reaction? He basically turns into like those crash test dummy doll things. You know, he just crumbles. Can you see it? He, he said, you know, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Think about that. This is not necessarily the safest moment of John's life, and yet it was a moment I'm sure that changed his life forever, impacted him, and it was a worshipful moment. You know, but it was still a lot of shock and awe. I was uh, when younger, I went to visit Tanzania with a group of amazing men, and uh, they were building a house. I believe we made it for um, like uh, Christian pastors as like a dormitory for them, and and I was like the bottom of the totem pole as far as skill level. Me and my buddy Robert, we were just like surviving and having the time of our life. And we were basically working hard because we knew eventually we were going to get to go on a safari. And so uh, eventually that day comes and we couldn't have been happier since we had been moving cinder blocks for like forever. And we're stoked. Okay, so talking about going on a safari, rad. Looking at pictures on the safari that you went to, cute. Being on the safari, totally different. You know, I remember when the, like the Jeeps or like the Land Rovers pulled up and they didn't have any doors except for the driver. He had doors. I thought this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I thought surely like maybe they'll put the doors on after, you know, like we get in and they bolt them and weld them shut, but no, we just got on. So we're going right. And zebras, cool giraffes. Oh, how beautiful you know, birds don't care. We only really wanted one thing. You know what it is, lions. And you could talk about it all you want. But then we see these lions and the driver, who's an African, who like lives, lives on the, like wherever we were, this preserve, he like pulls us up into this pride of lions and they are all fat and their faces are soaked in blood. They just got done killing something and eating it alive like five minutes ago and they pulled the car up and they just inside these lines like there's lines now 360 around the car and they turn the car off <laughs> what that's what i was saying i was like no and i remember feeling all the emotions that a person can feel all in a matter of 30 seconds i cried i laughed i was fearful i was angry I was confused. I contemplated the choices I had made up until that moment. And it was wild, okay? The lines did nothing. I guess they are full. 
or something. But I just remember being in like this mode of like, whoa, this is wild. And I don't know. I'm not saying that's how John felt, but man, oh man, I think it's pretty close. Look at uh, this passage from Isaiah chapter 6. This is a good one. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, awesome. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. That's rap. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Here we go. Listen, verse four. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, listen, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That is intense. You know, just as I was reading this, I've never said this before. I've never, I don't know if I've ever thought it. I wonder if the coal burned his mouth. Like we always read these scriptures like, oh, you know, like, whoa, what a special moment. The angel came over and put a burning coal to his mouth. How special, <laughs> you know, but if it was a burning coal, did it not burn his mouth? And I wonder if even, oh man, that's a whole nother podcast, but wild, right? Like what a wild experience for Isaiah to be in the presence of, of God. And John and Isaiah both have similar reactions. Woe is me. John falls down dead. It's like an intense thing. And you know what? I love it. It's just this reminder that sometimes I make God out to be something so much smaller than he is. I I guess for me, I just don't want to lose sight that there's more to him and that there's more for me in him, that there's more for us in him as worship leaders, as worshipers, as people of God. I I don't want to plateau in my worship. You know, I I want to continue to press in. Sometimes what gets in the way of that is our routine. You know, our, our routine of worship feels awesome. Like, I get it. I love gathering and worshiping together through music with people in the church. I love it. It's one of, I mean, it's my favorite, it's probably my favorite thing to do. But the more I love it, the more in danger I get of losing my first love, which is Jesus, you know, him, the reason for worship, not just um, worshiping in general and being a part of that amazing experience. Because all of this was his idea. The world, God's idea. Our relationship with him, God's idea. Music, God's idea. Food, God's idea. Even worship, all from his imagination. That's so awesome. I don't even have the words to explain, and or, or I don't know how to explain. It just feels like so much more for discovery. You know, my soul is telling me that there's more to worship and more to being in his presence than maybe I'm allowing myself to pursue. And maybe that's you as well. I was listening to John Maxwell on Facebook Live, and he said something really profound. He said, Most of the things we want but don't have are just outside of our comfort zone. 
Like, I wonder if we would have been handed over the formula for Isaiah in Isaiah 6 or John chapter 1, if we would have been like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It took me a while to get out of my mind, you know, and to, to just get out of, to get out of my mind how I felt I was able to, over time, write about this in the book. Like, it took a while to unpack is what I'm trying to say. Like, this feeling I felt of, leading worship and even being led in worship and then maybe sometimes feeling left like there was more and I let it I let it stay. I in the book in chapter 2 I talk about it as the abyss, you know, like walking up to the edge of the abyss and that abyss being being God and and you look at it and it's awesome but it's really deep but have I concerned myself with exploring the depths? You know, let me just read out of chapter 2 starting on on page 30 says, you bring more people to the chasm to enjoy its beauty and its splendor, and, and they're thankful to you for leading and guiding them, but the question remains in your heart and mind. Time passes, and you, and you stop visiting the cliff. You stop throwing rocks. You try to forget. Maybe that was for another time. I had my chance, but it's past. These thoughts and, con- and others continue to bounce around like colliding electrons, sending sparks everywhere into the atmosphere of your mind. Then after a while, you begin to stuff down the curiosity mute the craving, and forget the invitation. After some time, you begin to scoff at the person who is mystified by the ledge. And in turn, fewer people get to experience it. And maybe I'll end with this part where it says, searching for the eternal things of God is what we were made to do. If you read chapter two, I talk about how sometimes walking up to the abyss of the unknown is like worship, and you're coming into this presence of God and others have gone before you and now we have the Holy Spirit and we have his presence with us all the time so what is that how how does that flesh out I don't know I think the discovery as we open up scripture and as we pray what an amazing thing and I'm just here to say don't stop don't get addicted to the routine find space to go deeper in your relationship with the Lord and in worship another great quote I recently read from A.W. Tozer which I reference later in this chapter, says, they had been in the presence of God and they reported what they saw there. They were prophets, not scribes. For the scribes tells us what he has read and the prophet tells us what he has seen. Yes, that's it. May it be so in our worship and in our worship leading, the deep things of God. So wonderful. Uh, I would encourage you to read chapter two again. Take some notes. And also, if you've read it, man, why don't you go to jordanabian.com. Tell me what you think. If you haven't subscribed there, please go do that. I'd love to hear from you. And if there's someone you think needs to read this book or hear this podcast, do me a favor, share it with them today. Uh, That would be awesome. It would mean so much to me. So as we lead and grow together, let's stand shoulder to shoulder on the front lines together. God's up to something. Let's not miss it. I'll see you there.